we was we got disrespected a little bit before the game. Guys calling us out. We're a tougher team. We're grown men over here. We got a whole bunch of gangsters in the locker room. Not thugs, but tough guys on the court. And we went out there and zipped them up at the end of the game. That's our motto, zip them up. And that's what we just did to them. But what do you think? It's right after you were in a, had an at-bat. You didn't have really time to relax between innings. Did that have anything to do with it? No, man. I mean, I just fucking walked to guys. This game's pretty tough. So that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, and get them out of here. You don't live in Cleveland. Welcome back to Sports Intoxication. We're back for another exciting podcast. I, I got to be honest with you, we hadn't planned for anything tonight, but in the past week, it kind of dawned on us that there's been so much news since we last talked that you guys, you guys obviously hold us as the podcast that you listen to for news in the highest regard. And so us just skipping all the news would be irresponsible on our part. Yeah. Can't be that. Also, also rumors on the uh, group chat are rampant about a possible takeover <laughs> of this podcast, which uh, we'll see if any of them actually listen to the podcast besides the one, which we know that does. Uh, actually, we'll see. I think there might be a couple, but uh, not on my watch. And, Actually, if they want to take a shot at it, it's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah, hang on. It's not as easy as it sounds to produce a bad podcast. Uh, so, joined by, as you heard, I'm joined by Matt tonight. Love everyone. And Chase is not with us. I think there's a there's a chance that he joins us, but it's very small. But don't count on him for surprising you. <laughs> but as we said, um, quite a bit's happened. The last time we talked was a week ago, and at that point, we had just heard that Nate Johnson was coming back to X for the extra season that the NCAA has granted, and we hadn't any, heard anything back at that point about Brian Griffin, Scruggs, or Carter. And we are also working under the assumption that um, the rest of the underclassmen would be back with the exception of maybe one. And that was also after Kiki Tandy had put his name in the portal and Daniel Ramsey had put his name in the portal. Um, and we kind of talked about the one that might leave as being Deontay Miles. Yeah. Well, Friday, we got a big, bad surprise as C.J. Wilcher entered the transfer portal. So first off, Matt, instant reactions to that. And we talked a lot last week about where the pieces fit. And so we'll get into how the pieces fit now, but what are your I mean, thoughts I missed, to initially I, I disappointed um that Wiltshire decided to you know, go elsewhere. I think that leads you to the conclusion. I think that Scruggs is probably going to come back. I would really, if he doesn't come back, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, so I, I think initially it's disappointing 
you know, I liked what I saw from CJ throughout the course of this year. I thought he could play a good role going forward. But at the end of the day, you know, it's not like you're losing a ton on the team for next year by that loss, right? As long as Scruggs comes back. Um, you know, the thought is that they're probably going to fill in these spots with grad transfers at this point or just regular transfers who are going to come in and be ready to play. So, you know, I, it's disappointing, but I'm interested to see kind of how this plays out. I think it's just kind of be the future, unfortunately, for the landscape of, of college sports, specifically basketball. Um, and I say, unfortunately, not from, you know, I wish they didn't do it just, um, unfortunately in the fact that you, know, you get to like freshmen and excited about their game and they decide they want to go somewhere else, which, you know, they should have every right to do um, if they want to, but it's disappointing that you're not going to see him, you know, play it as a Xavier uniform anymore. But that being said, you know, if they bring back Scruggs and you have Odom and Jones and Nate Johnson and Zach Freeman, well, that's a heck of a five. I think that you can go out and compete and win with, uh, next year. Um, now it's just going to be backfilling the roster, which, um, you know, you got a couple of young guys coming in. So I'll be interested to see who they target here in the transfer wave that's coming up. Absolutely. And we'll get into that because, um, well, I have some interesting thoughts about that and we'll get more in depth into what we think next year might look like just with what they have coming back. But you brought up two things um, that I wanted to ask you in regards to one, would you take gladly make the trade of one year of Scruggs and Nate Johnson for three years of CJ Wilcher, which aren't guaranteed. Um, and obviously the year of Scruggs isn't guaranteed, but in this scenario we're saying right now, the, the year of Scruggs and Nate Johnson for three of CJ Wilcher. Is that a good trade in your mind right now? Um, I think they have a better chance to make the NCAA tournament next year with Scruggs and Nate Johnson on the roster than just CJ Wilcher. That's a good non-answer answer. I agree and with I, you I mean, about that. I think, but the way the roster construction is going to go now, it's not going to be, it's going to be a year to year thing. And you're going to see like those, I forget what podcast I was listening to, but it was interesting that they were saying how you're going to start seeing the lack of emphasis being on high school recruits going forward. And it's going to be more focused on recruiting guys who are freshmen who have entered the transfer portal because they have tape at the college level. And you can see what they've done at the college level rather than taking a guess on what these recruits are going to be. So I think for where Xavier's at right now, I would rather have Paul Scruggs and Nate Johnson, I think, for next year. Okay. I'm, I'm not saying right, wrong, or indifferent. I, I might push back a little against that, not for next year, but for the long term. <laughs> But the other thing that I was going to – my next question was going to be, and you kind of led into this, is about the future of college basketball for a program like X because this is fundamentally important 
this is fundamentally, this is changing the way that everything's going to be done. And so when you look at freshmen, if they come into a program like X and they're not playing 15 minutes a game as a freshman, they might yep. be out the door. And when you look at freshmen that are going to any number of mid-major programs or major power five powers, whatever you call it programs that didn't get the time that they want, then like, I mean, so CJ, which was a perfect example of that. He's got tape. He's a great shooter. He's probably not a great defender. He, he is what he is. And I'm not knocking him at all, but like, he's going to go somewhere. I would anticipate CJ Wilcher's move to be somewhat lateral, if not going to a bigger program than X. And I say bigger program than X because his brother is a five star and there could be, you know, that whole package deal. But this, this whole thing is, is a huge deal. Um, and so, the, the days of – and I'm speaking – I'm saying this to a lot of Xavier fans out there, only a fraction of which probably actually listen to this podcast. But uh, the days of Jimmy Farr and yelling at people to get off your lawn because you didn't wait for two years to develop and get bigger and get stronger and get better in the program are yeah. over. Yeah. No, I mean – they certainly are. And I don't know. Is that, I think it's a bad thing for, well, actually, I don't know. Because the way I, you see it, right, and you have these guys looking, I looked around a little bit, and like Armand Franklin is transferring from IU, coaching change, you know, that's fine. You have a guy. His third school, will, his next school will be his yeah, third school. Yeah, okay. And then you have I saw Florida Noah Locke is entering the transfer portal, a guy who X was heavily involved in. And so I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you see these guys that X has been involved in and will continue to be involved in who go to these higher major programs and, and you know it doesn't work out. Can they get them on their on the rebound? as a sophomore coming in. And then you might see that, right? Um, because you only get that one time free transfer. So it might not be four years, but maybe it'll be three um, in the program. So I don't know that it's all doom and gloom on that front yet. I mean, we're just at the very infancy of how this is playing out, right? So, um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It's You're not going to see a guy like James Farr who plays – three minutes a game, if that, his first two and a half years, and then blossoms into probably the best rebounder or one of the best rebounders in the country by the time his playing career is done. Speaking of great rebounders, Tyreek Jones falls into a similar category. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be very interesting. Um, but I think X – could find themselves in a really good spot in the pecking order of not being one of these quote unquote, I mean, they're a high major in that they play in the big East, but they're not really, you know, one of the top 30, I don't know, uh, 
they're not a they're not a blue blood, and they're not in the next right. fifteen. Or right, 20 you get what I'm saying, and and so they, they could yeah. very easily be a, a landing spot for for guys who are on the Floridas, the Kentuckys, even the Louisvilles, who don't who are high major talent, but they don't find playing time their first year or two, and that can only help you, I would think. So um, you're not going to win those battles out of high school, but maybe you can start winning them now after having a year of tape. I, I don't know. Um, and I think they got the right – I think Steele will do a very good job at that. He's shown that he can do a really good job at, at landing some grad transfer or some transfers. Um, so I'm super glad you brought that up because I was going to bring that up and I was going to bring it up in a slightly different light. Um, Steele's – track record as and i know his first year he had to fill the roster so we'll take that out but if you give me bryce moore jason carter um brian griffin nate johnson am i missing another one from last year oh kunkel yeah um okay so if you give me those guys, I'd say he's at about a 40%. Hit. I think that's probably fair. And I, I and there's still work yeah, to be done. I think for, Nate, John, Nate Johnson's obviously a hit. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm bullish on Adam Kunkel being a hit. I think his first two years, you know, I'd take those with a little bit of a grain of salt. Like you said, he's filling out his roster the first year. Last year, what was that? Bryce Moore and I don't even know who else was, was that. I wasn't Hankins. Um, but you're right. I mean, I thought that, yeah, I thought there was another one last year. I, it, it would have been a big. But, I mean, the point's well taken, right? They're, he's not hitting 100% of them, but I mean, you don't hit 100% with true freshmen either. And I think the guys that he but right and the guys tape. and I think it's a little different talent pool too that he's been pulling from right I mean it's Belmont sure. it's uh, where did Nate Johnson go um, Gardner Webb Ben Webb. Stanley Ben Stanley OU. at Hampton who we don't know yet um, OU and, you know I, I, yeah if you can start pulling guys from. I don't know. I mean, say it, I, it's probably not going to happen, but the, the Noah Locke name kind of was interested to me when I saw his name enter the transfer portal because he was one of a, he was a finalist or X was a finalist, I think for him. He's a really good player yep. at Florida. Um, you got a guy like him that makes up for missing on, I mean, you can go one of three in those transfers if, if Noah Locke turns out to be the player that he was recruited to be. Right. That makes sense. Like you don't have. He was a good right. player at Florida. Like I watched yeah. some Florida basketball. I don't. I don't. I mean, so I think it's just hitting on the right, right pieces, and I think he's still figuring that out. And you know, I, I think you're right. It's TBD on whether or not he's good at it. But he's. I guess my point was he's shown a propensity to be able to recruit the transfer market to Xavier. Um, 
so actually, I mean, you're leading me right where I that's the, wanted to go. That's next. the sign but of two another, coast, coasts who just peas in a pot. I, I know. I mean, at this point, Brian is completely <laughs> superfluous. Uh, but Brian Snow this week announced that he was leaving 24 seven. Uh, I'd like to say Brian's a friend of the podcast. He's not, I mean, he's like kind of a friend, but like he's a friend of a friend of the podcast. That's, that's the way I want to describe it. He's a friend of the friend of the podcast. Um, but Brian Snow was, he, he was in Steele's wedding. And one of the things that he always says about Steele is Steele's always watching tape. Steele is always, and then when it comes to offers and when it comes to transfers and when it comes to the portal, Steele's just like, yep. And he's throwing out offers like crazy. And so we just talked about how he's had some misses in the transfer portal. We've also kind of talked a little bit about him on prior podcasts about him missing on some freshmen and I, and like missing on the freshmen. Like I can tell you, in my opinion, he didn't miss on CJ Wilcher. CJ Wilcher is going to be a really good player, I think, but it is the age that we're in. I think that Demir Bishop maybe is a miss. I don't know. I don't want to get into all that. But what I wanted to ask was with this new era of college basketball and with the defections that we see from Xavier, is Steele's philosophy or strategy of offering basically everyone the right thing or do you want to try to keep eight guys really happy or nine guys i mean like Steele's talked about how he wants to play faster and play more guys and shoot and be open and blah 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 and we didn't see that this year when it came down to the crunch time and and we talked about that ad nauseum so i'm sure the answer to this is remains to be seen but what do you think about that yeah i mean i i don't know because you know, you look around, I just keep going back to it. You look around the country at the names that are in the transfer portal now. And it's not like Xavier is the only program who is losing guys who we thought were going to be key pieces, right? I mean, Xavier lost Kiki Tandy. Anyone you'd, anyone you'd mention locally <laughs> well, other than Yeah, Xavier I mean, that, you know, they don't, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't count when your old team quits. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, you know, Georgetown, their their center, who was a stud, just decides to leave today. Um, again, Noah Locke transferring from Florida. Um, Armand Franklin transferring from IU. Like, program, good programs are losing good players. And so I don't – is it realistic to be able to keep eight people happy in college basketball? I don't – I don't think it is, uh, or I don't know that it is. So, yeah, maybe you just try and keep five, your, your best five happy. Um, and I think – Well, I think it's interesting that you mentioned Georgetown because my first thought was immediately I thought, well, who would leave as a five? Who would leave Georgetown being coached by one of the best big men right. in the history of – the sport to go elsewhere. And then 
before I made that point, I remembered that Dikembe Mutombo's kid is coming into Georgetown next year. So there's certainly writing on the wall there for that young man. I did not, I did not know that. But, and, but either way, right? I mean, you're still – I mean, he was good. And he was a good – but he was a good player. I mean, he – Right. No, I agree. Um, so that's a good point. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think – But, no, I mean, to your point, I wasn't even arguing. I, I was saying, like, I agree with you that it's crazy. And then – and it's, and it's in, and right. still a freshman. Like, I mean – but but that's also the flip side of the same coin is that if you think that Matumbo's son is going to come in and he can be a program impact guy year two and he's not going to leave for the NBA after year one because he won't have that prospect, then you have to keep him happy enough year one to stick around for year yeah. two. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But I, but I do – to go back to your original question, I think it makes – at this point, I still think it makes sense to cast as wide a net as possible on those transfers um, because you want to you want to keep your name out there, which is important. Um, show that you're involved with any player you think can help your program because you're not going to get them all. Um, so at this point, I don't really have a problem with the philosophy that he's impl- implemented. Um, you know, it's all going to come down to who can you get, and I, I just keep going. I just keep going back to it, like, yeah. if, and I don't know even if he's a fit with the roster construction. But if you can, and he's probably not. Um, but if you could throw a a guy like I'm going to go back to Noah Locke again into your into your program, who was a top. 50 recruit. I mean, that's a huge get now. And the more I think about it, it really doesn't make sense with the roster that Xavier has coming back for next year. I don't think. But you're gonna, here's, here's the other thing about that whole scenario is if you can get for one year and then you're, I mean, you're, what you're saying is we'll take Noah Locke and, we're going to probably lose. Well, that's a, yeah. I mean, I guess the thing is like, it's really turned into like a free agency type thing where you're not, Yeah. at least it seems like, right. We're so early on in the process of it, but you're not recruiting four years in the future anymore. You're, or you're not recruiting for these guys to be right. seniors. You're recruiting your team based on what you have. And I think you'll see going forward, kind of like I said earlier, you'll see a lot less, I would think, you'll see a lot less offers going out to guys who are in their sophomore and junior years of, of high school. And I think you'll start seeing more more offers focused on just strictly seniors once you know or you have a good idea of what's coming back the next year. Um, and then focusing on the transfers. Because to me, it makes if this is how it's going to be, it makes a heck of a lot of sense to save a couple scholarships every year for the transfer market because you know they're going to be eligible and you have game tape on them at a high D1 level. Absolutely. And I think that 
not to talk about one of my favorite former coaches, but that was always a Chris Mack strategy was to leave a couple open. And it seems like a Travis Steele strategy is to get as many dudes here as possible. And like, but I think that the new, I think that the new strategy, well, not new strategy. I think the new thing is also going to be guys. We saw this a lot this year because of COVID, but I think next year without COVID, hopefully gee, many Christmas knock on wood um, that we're going to see guys three games in be like, right. I'm out. Yeah. Whereas in the past three games in, they're like, okay, I got six minutes or maybe next game I'll get nine minutes. Like the, the immediacy of need, the instant gratification is what I was looking for is going to be, and they can't, well, I don't know. I don't know the rules. If they could go to a, a school immediately and start practicing yeah, and playing. Um, but it's going to be definitely on years that count. If they're a couple games in and they haven't played very many minutes, they're going to be like, right. I'm not doing right. this. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a good point. Um, so. So that leads me to our final exercise on Xavier basketball that we kind of, uh, there's a lot still in flux for next year, but I sent this to Brian and Matt because I've been thinking about this for a week now, since we talked last week about how all this works out with minutes and who plays and who doesn't and whatever. And I wrote this down real quick um, before we came on. For next year, if the roster were to – they were to add no transfers, which I can tell you right. isn't happening, um, and no one else transfers out, which is a possibility, and Scruggs comes back is how we built this roster. Um, and I just – we took 40 minutes at each position. So I'll go first. Um and I have Dwan Odom playing 30 minutes at the one and Paul Scruggs playing 10 minutes at the one. I have Paul Scruggs playing 15 minutes at the two. Nate Johnson playing 15 minutes at the two. Adam Kunkel playing 10 minutes at the two. I have Colby Jones playing 30 minutes at the three. Nate Johnson playing five minutes at the three. Adam Kunkel playing five minutes at the three. I have Zach Fremantle playing 25 minutes at the four. Ben Stanley playing, playing 10 minutes at the four. And incoming freshman Elijah Tucker playing five minutes at the four. And I have Deontay Miles playing 20 minutes at the five. Zach Fremantle playing 10 minutes at the five. And incoming freshman Cesar Edwards playing 10 minutes at the five. Um, I know that that was probably really boring for everyone to listen to, but the point of this was just to see where the minutes go. And in the end, I've got Scruggs playing 25 minutes. I've got Odom playing 30 minutes. I've got Colby playing 30 minutes. I've got Fremantle playing 35 minutes. And then guys like Ben Stanley, who transferred here from Hampton, playing 10. And the freshmen are playing 10 and 5. And 
Adam Kunkel's only playing 15 and Nate's only playing 20. Those three guys that I mentioned, Odom, Fremantle, Colby, to me are the future of the program. And they're also three after a summer of development, maybe your three best players. Paul Scruggs is second team all big East, I think this year. So he's there. Uh, But that's what I got. And you want me to read well, Brian's or you want to just gonna... go real quick? You can throw Brian's in. I don't, I didn't yeah. have to full disclosure. I didn't have time to kind of break it out minute by minute, but I just give my thoughts on it. Um, yeah, no, that's, I that's, think, that's perfect. Actually. Yeah. Give your thoughts on what I wrote. Give your thoughts on what you have. And then give your thoughts on what Brian Scruggs put out. and Odom are your point guards. And I definitely agree. Odom is a 30 to 32 minute a night guy at the one, no doubt about it, hands down. That's got to be your thing. Um, You'll notice I used right. fives and yeah. tens. I that's well, that's I for that's for math. Like I said, I didn't break mine down. <laughs> like I don't I don't have math. So I'm just gonna <laughs> throw some numbers out. I think you're dead on. Scruggs will get the majority of the minutes at the two. Um, with, you know, I think go into it, Odom's not going to play less than 30 minutes, I don't think. Scruggs is probably not going to play less than 30 minutes. So where is he going to get those other 20? It's going to be Scruggs at, Scruggs at the two for probably 20 minutes. Um, I think you've split the, the last 20 between Kunkel and Johnson. You know, however, however that works out. Um, at the three – it's going to be the majority of Johnson. I think probably Nate gets 25-ish, 20 to 25-ish at the three. Um, the one interest, I think I could see a lot of Colby Jones playing at the four if they decide to go small. Then um, you have your lineup of Odom, Scruggs, Johnson, Jones, and Fremail out there. I think that's a really interesting lineup. Um pretty good defensively minus a little bit of lacking on the height piece, but you're quick. You could potentially press with that lineup and kind of speed up the pace of the game. Like, like Steele has, has said that he wants to. So the interesting one to me is going to be Stanley kind of like you hit on, you know, where does he fit in? Like, I, I think, and we didn't get to see a lot of him this year, which was unfortunate. What we did see is he likes to shoot and he doesn't really like to pass. Again, that's, that's just <laughs> my two reactions from watching him play. He, he can score. It's 100% accurate, but I would also tell you that he's probably – yeah, he might be the best finisher. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that as a knock against him. It's just what – no, no, but I think it's worth mentioning because, like, he took some shots that you would say that you yeah. would normally say those are yeah. bad shots, and he made them. And he and he only played yeah. in a couple games, but he did it a few times. So. Yeah, and I think um, at the five, you'll just see Fremantle. You know, I could see Fremantle getting twenty-five, and the last fifteen being split between Edwards and Miles at the five, and you kind of. I I don't see Deontay Miles playing a lot next year unless he makes some 
big jump, which. Well, so you're, yeah. So you're looking at, at Chase's numbers and my numbers, I had miles playing 20 and I, I'm still like head in the sky thinking that Deontay miles can be, yeah. I'm All thinking right. about the ceiling for Deontay miles and I'm thinking that injuries this year were a reason that he didn't play more than he did. Yeah, I hope that's the case. Now, I don't. I would love to see him play more. But um, my lineup was more geared towards yeah. Fremantle being at the four, and I think the minutes, the minutes. Well, actually, it's not. I think it's it's either one or the other. If you either have depth at the four and the five, or you can spread the minutes out on the wing guys if Colby Jones is playing a lot of minutes at the four. So, however Travis Steele wants to do that, that's yeah. kind of your – your, and that's, that's what Brian and I did totally differently, um, was I've – and we talked about it on this podcast that you know, Zach Fremantle doesn't guard the five well when he plays against a big physical five. So it this is a hundred percent up to the head coach as far as like who can the team rebound with Colby at the four. And can Deontay earn minutes at the five? And then obviously this whole thing will get completely thrown out of whack with incoming transfer or two. But I would also tell you that with this team, the way that Brian constructs it or my way is a good team. But I think they'll, they're going to struggle defensively with a few pieces. Like, you know, like you mentioned, when you have Odom Scruggs and Colby Jones on the floor, that's a pretty good team guarding the wing. But if Fremantle's at the four and Deontay Miles is at the five, yep. that's a matchup thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree. They have the makings of a, of a solid roster. It's just I think they need more depth. Um, I would say down low. Uh, not knowing what Cesar Edwards is going to bring you, right? Like maybe he comes in and be as a right. stud. I, I hopefully he is, but I think their guard and wing position is pretty good. You might want to get another shooter, but um, I think they've. Oh, well, I'm a guy. I'm a guy that you like. You, I've, I've it's known on this podcast that I I revel in the future of ceilings basically so like so like i tend to be like just run with these 10 because i think that cesar edwards and elijah tucker can be amazing and blah 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 blah. and i don't and then i think about the the exact question that i asked you is one or two years of guy x versus four years of one of those guys or three years as it'll be uh and and I'm not like I'm wrong in a lot of situations, but 
then you have that one guy that goes somewhere else and blows up. So, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, I mean, it is. I, I think the, the goal next year is to get to the NCAA tournament no matter how you can get there. So, yeah, I mean. No matter who you piss off. And no matter what, Paul Scroggs is going to be gone next year or after next year if he comes back. So, and so will Nate Johnson. Yeah, and so, so will Nate. You know, if guys are mad about playing time next year, we'll earn your minutes when you play, play well, and you have the opportunity in 2022-2023 to, to play more because it's you're going to have time. And, and other than those guys who would be coming back for that extra year, there's no true senior on the roster. So um, – Take advantage of that yeah, by being absolutely. a young team that has experience. Um, so the other news this week from Xavier was that uh, Jason Carter has decided to take an extra year, but he's going to take it elsewhere. Um, I think that Carter's taken a lot of heat from Xavier fans, and I would argue that the heat that Carter took is probably should be more aimed at Travis Steele for – the minutes that he played. In yeah, I mean, I, I'm. You know me. I'm not. Uh, I've probably been the nicest to Jason Carter out of anyone on this podcast and in our group chat that we have during the games. Um, I think he did a lot in his two years at Xavier that helped the team defensively. I think the limitations were shown Absolutely. on the offensive end, which. Somehow he forgot how to score in the two years between OU and Xavier, which is unfortunate. But uh, you know, he was a he was a really good defensive player and a really good rebounder for X for the two years that he was here. So, and uh, a bright spot for me last year was his ability at the four yeah. to yeah, break I mean, the press he, against St. John's. Look, they didn't get to the tournament in either of his two years. And he was definitely a whipping boy for a lot of the fan base. And I definitely could see that from an offensive standpoint. You know, he didn't score a lot. He didn't shoot well, um, to say the least. But I think his offensive deficiency was made up for on the defensive end more times than not when he was playing. So, but I do agree. I, I, I do agree with your point. And – I think Travis Steele probably put him in some tough situations. So, and lest you forget, Musketeer fans, and yes, I'm wagging my finger at you as I say this right now. But Jason Carter hit a big three in a tight crosstown shootout game at UC this year, which we saw how bad UC turned out. So that would have been an embarrassing loss to lose to those guys, and they didn't. Yeah. In big part because of that facts are facts yeah in your face so back the fuck off (laughs) all right uh let's move on from the muskies to the the Bengals. the last time that we talked the Bengals had signed i believe they had signed trey hendrickson chidobia woozy and yes Hilton, the slot corner. 
and then we were we were on Riley Reef Watch, as it were, when we recorded this podcast. And they signed Larry Ogunjabi while we were podcasting. Oh, yeah. Which, underrated move. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, I think that'll be a good move for the team. But Riley Reef was signed Friday. Early this week, they signed. Yep. Re-signed Quentin Spain. They signed Eli Apple, former first-round pick, and Buckeye. And then today, I've seen this reported, but I like I can't read anything. I haven't read anything about it because there hasn't been. They signed, um, or not today, I think it was yesterday, Ricardo Allen, a safety from the Falcons, um, which I don't know if they plan on playing him in tandem with Von Bell, who was often a whipping boy of the fan base, the Bengals fan base last year. But um, I can tell you that Jesse right. Bates better not be coming off the field. Yeah, I mean, again, I can kind of go back to what I said last week. I mean, I think, at least I think this is what I said last week, you know, in sports intoxication, so I don't really remember. But um, I'm with you. I think so far they've the signing of Riley Reif or Reef is a big signing. Um, and I think they've done a lot of good things in free agency. Um, you know, to expect them to be a player on day one of free agency is honestly just foolish and kind of stupid, really. I mean, teams that win free agency in the off season, right. They make the big splash signings like this year. And I, I think they're doing a good job of it, but I'll just bring it as an example. Like the Patriots are signing. It seems like everybody and making their roster, you know, they're the talk of the town now with the signings and them and the Cardinals would be the two teams that I think of right away in terms of free agency, who they're signing, what they're signing guys to, um, and that they're, um, you know, the talk of the talk of the town uh, because they're signing big name yeah, guys. You're absolutely right. But how many times did the Browns win the off season or the Buccaneers a couple of years ago before Brady win the off season and they didn't do anything, you know, they signed these guys in free agency, big name players. And it just didn't work out. And I think what the Bengals did was calculated. Um, I think it was smart. You know, I, we go back to what we said last week. It didn't make sense to sign the offensive linemen that to the deals that they were getting paid. Um, it made sense to like the Riley again. The reef signing is a big signing. You get him for a year, figure out if he's good or not, and then you could potentially re-sign him for a couple year contract down the road. Uh, and you may still take a because. Because of the signing, you could still take what? a tackle yeah. at number five overall and then play that person inside and have an incredible offensive line and then kick that person outside in the future. Or same thing in 38 in the second round, you could take a yeah. tackle, play him inside at guard, and then – I mean, like yeah, my point is that's, to give them – That's the interesting thing, and that was what I was just, just about to say, is it makes the number five pick really interesting to me because – to me, at this point, it's down to one of two, and it's always been this way, 
I think it was either going to be Sewell or it was going to be one of these wide receivers. Um, because I think they've done a relatively decent job on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you know, who knows how these guys are going to be, but I like what they've done defensively. Um, I, I, I think, and then you throw into the fact that you're basically getting a DJ reader in free agency too, because he only played two games um, and Trey Wayne. Right. I mean, and I'm Trey excited. Like, you know, we still have sweet Lou, but I'm, a, I'm excited about what they've done defensively. I, I truly am. I, I, I think, you know, Hilton is a, is a good signing. The more I read about him, the more I think he could be really good. Um. And so I think it comes down to the draft now, and it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. Um, I, I think, to me, all signs point to them taking Sewell at the five pick. I would be surprised if they didn't. Um, at this point, I don't, I don't love that. Uh, no, I, w- I would kind of go towards. Uh... Which I would, Jamar Chase. I would love, I would love that, and take your take your offensive lineman with the second round pick and load off on linemen the rest of the draft and go from there. Because I do think they need that deep threat receiver. Um, You know, I think we were talking about Galladay last week and kind of knew that that wasn't going to happen. Right. Um, So those are really the two spots now that. Not to say they're a perfect team by any stretch of the imagination, but if you can shore up, if you can get a speed receiver and shore up the offensive line, I, I do like the Spain signing to another year. He was good uh, for the, the few games that he yeah. played. So, I'm, you know, probably dumb for saying it, but I'm – Bullish about what they've done. I, I mean, <laughs> I think they've done a really good job with what. No, I. And they're still they still have money to spend too, which is good. I I totally agree with you, and I think that um, as you mentioned, and I interrupted, but like, if you, well, one, it opens up the possibility too that if you if you don't love anything at five and you get an offer. Because Jamar Chase or Sewell is gone, and those were the two guys that you were focused on. And I know that's what we're focused on a fan, as a fan right. base. We don't know if that's what the Bengals are actually looking at. But if those two guys are gone, that means that one of Trevor Lawrence, who won't be there, but Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, um, yep. and then Trey Lance, yep, the BYU quarter yep. or the um, – North Dakota State, and then also Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, Kyle Pitts. Those guys are all there. So there's a chance that somebody's going to want to come up and grab something from that group. And if you go back to 12 or 15, maybe you can get a Rashawn Slater offensive lineman from Northwestern, um, a Christian Derrissaw offensive tackle from Virginia Tech, I'm also – I've completely now flipped and said I'm okay if they draft Kyle Pitts. Um, 
they have to know how to use him. And that's a big part. Like he's got to be a Travis Kelsey type weapon. And, and that means like he doesn't really line up with his hand in the dirt and he doesn't really block, but who's going to cover him? He's six foot six and 240 pounds. Like who's going to cover him? Cause the safety isn't tall enough. And, linebacker isn't fast enough. It doesn't matter. I, I'm not saying that that's my first choice, but I'm okay with it. And I'm okay with it, especially if you traded back from five to seven or eight. Um, so I, I'm with you 100%. I, that I think that what they've done has cleared up a lot of areas of need. And if they take a – other than defensive tackle – and I could still see a defensive end uh, in the first three rounds, but not both. Um, then, then Joe Burrow, I wouldn't be mad if he was like, "All right, yeah, Kiki Tandy and I are out." Yeah, like, good point. I mean, I think the only I think interesting piece left is the thing that came out today or yesterday about Geo, you know, what they're going to do with Bernard. Um, I think I brought that up a few weeks back on the podcast and I, yeah, I don't know what do you do. I mean, you're paying a lot. Of, if you're going to use the 4 million, you're bucks, paying a lot of money in that running back room right now with P Ryan and um, Mixon. And those are two good backs, and I think P. Ryan's could – he's not going to do everything that Gio does, and Gio's been a really good player, but can you use that money better elsewhere? I think he probably could. Yeah. You probably can. I'm a it's hard not to be. I mean, he's been great. Uh, he's- and, like – well, I think that, like, when he stepped in last year, we talked about it on the podcast when he stepped in last year and all of a sudden the protection got better because he's so good at just sticking a guy and he's so, and he's small, but like, he just, he sees him coming. So like, that's what I love about Gio, except Gio can't be on the field when Joe Mixon's on the field. And so what does he do for you at, I think it's 4 million bucks a year um, where He's only playing, I'd say, less than 40% of the downs, probably less than 30% of the downs when Joe Mixon's healthy. Um, so I get it. And I would also be a little weary of it as far as his effect on his leadership and his uh, – Zach Taylor talks about culture, and I think – Gio is a guy that's totally bought into yeah. that part yeah, and, uh, of Zach Taylor. And he was so. the one guy, right? I think Daner brought it up today, or friend of the podcast, Paul Daner, brought it up today on Twitter, you know, saying a G- Gio was one of the guys who, like, stood up and said, hey, this locker room's good. This, 
we're all together, we're behind Zach, yada, 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 all that. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they decide to do. Like you said, I love him, but at the end of the day, is he providing enough to keep around? I, I don't know. I think as a fan of both Gio and the Bengals, you got to show me what you use that money for. That's all. Like if if it if it if it's a if it's a fourth defensive tackle, I'm like eh, I don't know. Like, but if it's I don't know where all the hole. I mean, the yeah. holes, but like. You know what I mean? Like, where can they actually? Actually, I'll tell you where they can. If it's a if it's a third or fourth wide receiver that comes here because they can make the team better with depth, but they'd be okay if yeah. the Bengals no, draft Jamar Chase, then I'm okay with it. Um, but other than that. And, and, you know, like Paul's talked about this whole offseason about the Bengals drafting over Travion Williams, who I thought showed some flashes down the stretch last year. It doesn't. I mean, we're talking about third and fourth running backs, right. though. So, like, yeah, it doesn't. Geo's a two. That's important. Um, so, if, if Geo leaves, then. Smaj Piran become the automatic two. Yep. And they're different backs. They're yep. very different backs. So all right, well, that's that'll wrap it up for Bengals talk. Next a week from today, we're recording on Thursday night, is Red's opening day. We're gonna get in another podcast. I'm going. I'm going Next week to the game. for the much. Yeah. Weaseled my way into Are a you? ticket. First sporting event. Nice. Long time. Good for so. you. Very good it's for you. Perfect, I'm jealous. The uh, uh, domestic player in this coming Betty. A very Betty classic. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, yeah. that's a. Yeah. It's always good to be on the right team there. But that's going to be an experience that you'll never forget. Yeah. Going to an opening day with 12,000. Yeah. yeah. Other people. This will be the as first as opening day game that I've ever attended. Too. Oh, my goodness. You're not me. I'm a big baseball guy. So. Like, surreal. Well, we know. Well, you know, you, you read the back of the baseball cards all the time. Uh, but you got to let us know how the lines are for beer and bathrooms. Um, well, bathrooms should be fine, but do they have sufficient people to pour beer? Yeah, that's true. For 12,000 people at yeah. opening day. Oh, yeah. Because you know makes they're sense. trying to save money. I suppose. Yeah. But we're going to do that podcast. 
next week because there's a lot to talk about. There's um, we we got to make predictions. We, we'll make a bet. All that stuff. Um, so that moves us to our last topic of the evening, which is our shambled NCAA bracket. We didn't even do a yeah. bracket because we knew we would suck so much. We did questions. It wasn't great. And it wasn't we great. sucked at this. Yeah, I mean, so we had the first one seed to lose. Of... I had Baylor. Chase had Baylor. You had Michigan. Wrong. Um, we, had, we had the highest seed to make the Sweet wrong. 16. Wrong. I had Ohio. Wrong. Um, wrong. Um, you had Michigan State. Very wrong. Um <laughs> well, but the team that slid in. No, that's there true. But also still wrong. There. Um and then Chase had Virginia Tech. Still wrong. Last mid-major standing. I had Winthrop. You had VCU, who you know, they might still be playing. We don't know. You know, they, they didn't need to play a game. They didn't get off um, the mat. Yeah. And then they, Chase uh, had San Diego State. Right. Who that Syracuse. Um, biggest first round upset. Uh, you and I both had yeah. Ohio, which we got right. But uh, Oral held up. knocked us off. And Chase had Liberty, which was incorrect. Uh, we had one seeds versus the field. All three of us did one seeds. And then we did Final Four and Champion. You know, I'm the only one who's knocked out from the champion. I took Illinois. Um, you guys both took Gonzaga, but um, final four. I still have three of the four, despite my Illinois pick. Um, and you guys are both with two of four. So I think <laughs> the reasonable thing to do, based on how terrible that was, was we're just gonna we're just gonna go through and pick all the Sweet Sixteen and basically pick out the bracket. It's like ESPN's second chance challenge that they're doing. Um. And we're just going to do this for the uh, the six-pack of beer. But real quick, before we get into that, can we just talk about the tournament as a whole? Um, still trying to see if Chase is going to join us. I doubt he will, but give him a couple more minutes to see if he'll jump in for the picks. Um, and what did you think? I think it's – and we should talk about what did you think about the first – four days of the tournament, obviously unique situation, circumstances and everything this year, you know, how was the viewing experience? And then just from what you saw from the games, you know, what, what takeaways did you have? I mean, I have a few, but I'm curious to think, to hear what you thought from the first weekend. First off, absolute mayhem. Um, the, the thing that is frustrating for me and my bracket and any prediction is that, and I guess it's a form of hedging your bet when you say the big Ten's so good this year and blah, 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 blah. And then the big 10, like just absolutely what's the bad. Again. Except for your um, boys, amazing blue. The. Well, yeah. 
they're they're they've proved yeah, to be pretty plus. resilient. That LSU Michigan game was actually really a great game with runs back and yeah. forth. It wasn't you score, we score. It was eight zero, ten two, twelve. Like it was just nuts. Um, and the thing that like the the biggest shocker for me was yeah. Pac twelve is really good or had the right matchups. Uh, like you look at me again, hedge and best. Like, I don't think they're good They're I mean, freaking pack 12. Like, um, I'm not going to knock their loss to Colorado. Anybody that makes 11, th- like literally no one was beating 11 Colorado. threes in like, the first half. Beating. Tough to beat. <laughs> um, but, Big East fared fairly well, getting two teams, Creighton and Villanova, into the Sweet 16. I thought that I thought that something that we all mentioned coming into this tournament played out. That we didn't know what was going to happen when it came to a lot of non-conference scenarios not being played. That you saw Oral Roberts, and granted, none of us picked no it. No one picked it. No one picked it. I'm just going to jump in. No Oral one Roberts. picked it. What did yeah. I say on the group chat? I did, I did say to the group about 30 minutes before two. Uh, yeah. I said yeah, Ohio State was going to be in for a dogfight in that game. I didn't say they were going to win by any means, but you said they would I, keep I did it close. Say they were going to keep it close. And they. No. You're absolutely right. And then you look at um, Loyola Chicago, which history should have been a lesson there for us. Illinois is a really good team, and Loyola Chicago just beat them and beat them the whole game. Um, As far as Oregon State goes, I I still don't know. I still don't know how they're here. Um, The Pac-12 is good, I guess, but I'm still – a little baffled by that one. Um, and then freaking yep. learn from your lessons. Syracuse, like, go back a couple years. They barely got in. They made the Sweet 16. And Buddy Beheim, yeah. really freaking good. Um, good player. That, that matchup between them and West Virginia was a – fantastic game. Him and Sean McNeil went back and forth, just making absolute bomb threes from the logo and and heat checking, but like, even when they heat checked, like, it wasn't irresponsible. Like, those guys were going off. Um, just to, so far for me, yeah, no, incredibly I certainly entertaining. Wholeheartedly agree with that. I think the one thing that's, or the couple things that stood out to me, the first thing was how normal it felt. Um, just watching the games, despite the lack of fans, I guess, in attendance. Um, you still, I, I was, I yeah. was concerned going into it. I was concerned that the lower seeds. That's a good point. Yeah, I think you've been to NCAA tournament games before, haven't you? Okay, so you haven't. So 
if Chase was here, he could, you know, we've been to a couple Xavier first and second round sites before. And, you know, once the lower seed starts to, you know, stay in the game for a little bit, you know, the crowd gets behind them. So that was my, yeah. yeah. They get off so their phones. My, like that literally, was my concern like, that's going like, in was like, oh, I didn't, I, I honestly wasn't happening? expecting a lot of upsets because I just felt like the better teams were going to win due to lack of fan involvement in the game. But that certainly wasn't the case. Um, and the other thing, and I think I mentioned it last week, was I thought it was really awesome watching NCAA tournament games at Assembly Hall and Mackey Arena and Hinkle Fieldhouse and whatever the uh, other college arenas that they used were. Like, I just – I really hope they go back to it because, you know, we've all been to Hinkle – or we've been to Hinkle. If you had an NCAA tournament site – at Hinkle in the first round, that would be unbelievable to watch. You know, it's small, it's intimate. Fans, fans are right on top of you. And it was still loud there Absolutely. for the couple games that I saw with 25% attendance. So, you know, I'm just like, I, I just hope that they, they'll never do it due to money and ticket revenue and all that. But I loved watching the games at, kind of the historic arenas, at least in Indianapolis area. Um, it was really cool to see. Um, the other thing I think is the Big Ten, like I think you have, you can't not talk about the egg that they laid in the first weekend. Um, you have nine teams in, you have one team left. Them and the Big 12 even. Um, I think the Big 12 only has one team left. Um, and Yeah, Baylor. Baylor's the one seed. And, and I think that um, you correctly kind of called out Kansas as far as their layoff. I feel like I was on a Texas bandwagon because they got hot during the Big 12 tournament. Um, but, and in all irony, you and Chase both picked Baylor as the first one seed because they were on a pause. Yeah. Well, no, they weren't on a pause, but they hadn't played well down the stretch. Uh, yeah. I was huge on West Virginia. Yeah. And yeah. Baylor's playing yeah, they are. really and- well right now. Um, so I thought those were two disappointing leagues. I think the the two matchups that I'm really most interested in this weekend, and we'll do our picks in a minute, but it's the two Big East teams because, I, I mean, Creighton and Villanova, they, they're in the Sweet 16, which is great for the league to get, you know, two teams in, UConn, and Georgetown both kind of fell on their feet a little bit, um, didn't play well. But Creighton and Villanova, you know, quite realistically, they they got very easy draws into the Sweet 16. When you look at it, I mean, Creighton beat a 12 and a 
13 and mm-hmm. Nova beat a 12 and a 13 to get to the sweet 16. So I'm really interested to see how they fare in the matchups with Baylor and Gonzaga. I don't think either one will win, but I think, um, I think they could provide some interesting games. Um, but outside of that, my other two thoughts were Oral Roberts is really fun to watch. Like, that Acemas dude and the O'Bannon kid are really good players. And the other thing is Loyola Chicago is really, really, really good. Like they are really good. And yeah. I'm with you on that. And per your Big East comment, I want to give you a stat that you probably already know, but maybe our listeners don't. Since the forming of the new Big East, four teams have made the Sweet 16. It's Villanova. Since the forming of the new Big East. Creighton. Villanova. And very obviously. Really? Okay. Butler. Yeah. Three of the four being. And I got to say, Mary, I'm, I'm excited for Creighton. Big uh, I think it's really cool uh, for Creighton to get back to it. First time in 52 years or whatever, or 50, 45, year, 45 years. I think 76 was the last time they went. So 45 years. Uh, yeah, they've had really I'll good tell teams. you, it's, a, it's about fucking so, because um, they've had good teams and they haven't gotten it done. Uh, it's been a really fun tournament to watch, and hopefully we get more good games this weekend. So I guess with that, do we want to go through and see what we got? We're going to pick – we're just going to go through and pick all the games real quick, and Chase will be uh, – Yeah. We'll update Chase's picks for those who care on the uh, on Twitter. Um but uh, I'll read them the off to you, Soxie, and you can give yours first for the Sweet 16 games. Then I'll go, and we'll just go Elite Eight. We'll just kind of go through that. All right, so we'll start. I think the first game is uh, – it doesn't really Sounds matter. Good. We'll just go top left to bottom right. So we'll go Gonzaga-Creighton. I think that game is Sunday. But he um, got Gonzaga-Creighton. Right, and then USC Oregon, which this might be the best game of the Sweet Sixteen weekend. I'm I have no idea. Down in Oregon, the other region we got Michigan, Florida State. Originally, I went Florida State, but Michigan. Excuse me, Michigan showed some resilience against LSU, and Florida State was in a rock fight yeah. against uh, – that was Colorado, right? Uh, All right, so – and then last – I'm going to go Michigan. And that side is UCLA, Alabama. Right. Uh, I should have done it differently. So, I'm just – I'll Alabama. go through my four real quick, and then we'll go game by game. We'll just – so we're not going back. Gonzaga Creighton, I got Gonzaga. Okay. Um, I think Gonzaga's favored by like 13, but 
I think Creighton covers, but I think Gonzaga wins. We got US. Oh, I like I, I uh, love the USC the Oregon. I'm going to take USC. I think they're just playing too well. Um, Michigan, Florida State. I got Florida State in the Final Four, so I'm just going to roll with Florida State and my guy Leonard Hamilton and UCLA, Alabama. I'm going to take <laughs> Alabama. Enough said. I think I think UCLA keeps it close, but I think Bama wins in the end. Uh, so flip it over to the other side. We got uh, let's see. We got Baylor and Nova. Interesting game. Uh, this one actually is tougher than I thought, but I think that Baylor's athleticism is too much for Villanova yeah. without Colin Gillespie shooting and just yeah no i agree uh, um i got baylor as well um, i think it's close but i think baylor wins in the end arkansas oral roberts oh we got on not yet uh it like what is Arkansas? I mean, Arkansas played a tough game against Texas Tech, and they pulled it out in the end. But uh, I, I feel like Oral Roberts right. played a tough You're going game with Oral Roberts. in Florida. Again, I have Arkansas in the Final Four, so I'm going to tell you Arkansas, but I think yep. it's a close game. But I think they already played this year from what I was reading, and it was a close game. Um, I would not. Like, I'll probably be rooting for Oral Roberts just because I want to see them continue this run. So, um, next we got Loyola Chicago versus Oregon State. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's the easiest. That's the easiest one for me of the week, the weekend. Um, I, I will also go with Loyola Chicago. And lastly is Syracuse Houston. Another interesting game, I think. I got. I have no idea, but I'm actually rolling with. Uh, I'm rolling with Syracuse because I think that, and like I feel like I say this every year. Teams see the the two three zone, and like they don't know what to do with the two three zone. They see a zone every now and then, but when you play it full time against them, yeah. and you play it well, yeah. And then they uh, have Buddy Bay. Makes sense. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm going Houston. I think it's gonna be a ugly, ugly game, kind of like the Houston Raptors game. But um, I think Houston has enough to uh, to win that one. So I got Houston advancing to the final eight. So we scroll over, go to the Elite Eight. We'll go back to Gonzaga's region. You have Gonzaga, Oregon. I have Gonzaga, USC. I'm gonna take Gonzaga to go to the final four. Um, all right. I will also take Gonzaga. And then we have – you have Michigan, Alabama, and I have Michigan, 
or I have Florida State, Alabama. So, again, I have Florida State going to the Final Four, so I'm going to take Florida State. But uh, what say you for Michigan, Alabama? I'm actually back on the Michigan bandwagon. I think they're uh, – I have Alabama going to the Final Four in my bracket, but I'm taking Michigan in our redo All right. because – I think they figure out a play without Isaiah Livers. We go to let's see. I have Baylor, Arkansas. You have Baylor, Oral Roberts. Um, man, I have Arkansas going. This is the third of my four going to the Final Four, um, and I think I'm going to stick with. Uh, Man, that's a tough one. Um, boy, I'm gonna go with Baylor. Uh, you know what? No, 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 no. I'm going back. Original final four picks. Give me Woo Pig Suey going to the final four. Two SEC teams. No, yeah, no, not two SEC teams, just Arkansas <laughs> in the final four for me. You have Baylor, Oral Roberts. You gonna you gonna stick with Oral Bob going to the Final Four? No, I'm gonna go with Baylor. I uh, I think that Baylor, for their little struggles down the stretch, they're proving yeah. to be athletic. They're, I mean, they're just when you watch them, they just they're on a different level. So. It's funny because yeah. you said you had three or four Final Four teams. I had five of eight. Um, <laughs> five of eight Elite Eight teams, and I'm I've gone completely against all of that. I like that you're sticking with your bracket, though. All right, Loyola. Well, let's say whatever region. Yeah. So we don't have the same Loyola Chicago. Uh, I have them versus Houston. You have them versus Syracuse. I gotta tell you, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride this Loyola train to the Final Four again. Um, we can talk about that in a second. I, I I just don't see them losing right now to any of these teams. So, got yeah, Loyola Chicago back in the Final Four. I have I'm with you. Like, and the funny thing is. Is this is this matchup is a matchup of two teams that literally within the last four years were in the exact same scenario where Loyola Chicago was a massive underdog. They were not an eight nine seed or whatever they are this year, but Syracuse is in the exact same scenario where they were an yeah. eleven seed where and they were one of the last teams in and made it to the final four. So this this is is a battle of the forgotten is what I would call it. And um, I'm taking Car Ramrod and Loyola Chicago uh, for Farva's mustache. That's right. Um, If you know, you know. Let's see. Hold on a second here. Arkansas versus... You have Loyola versus 
All right, I have Loyola yeah. versus Baylor. And okay. the Zags versus Michigan. Nah, right. so, so I have three ones in the final four. Uh, go to the final four. We have – you have – so I have Gonzaga, Florida State, and Arkansas – Loyola, and you have Baylor, Loyola, and Gonzaga, Michigan. So, um, Gonzaga, Michigan. I'll take Gonzaga. Gonzaga, Florida State. I'll take Gonzaga as well. I feel like Gonzaga. Um, after watching them, the, uh, uh, old Bardstown. Yeah, it's good. Kentucky Street. That's not bad. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like that guy. Uh, got an old Pepper Distillery, Rye. Uh, it's a store pick. It's 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 good. I like certain things from my rise. This kind of like half delivers on it. I like that uh that black licorice flavor a lot, and this kind of gets it, but um, it does it leaves a little bit on a, on a similar topic. I traded one of my rye of the tigers today, but I still have your bottle. So, um, so. We both have the Zags basically so walking the Zags. to the final. Um, then I have Arkansas Loyola. You have Baylor Loyola. Baylor Loyola for you. Who do you got? Unfortunately, I think the, the Cinderella ride comes in and I got Baylor. The, the anticipated matchup that we've been looking forward to all season, which was originally scheduled but canceled due to COVID. Yeah, so I'm going to regret this. Baylor. Um, final. I think. But, and this is probably recency bias just based on watching how dominant they were against Illinois. But I am going to – I'm going to take Loyola to go to the championship game. They were sure. the better team against Illinois for 40 minutes and whether or not they can do that again for 30, three more games. I don't know, but I have Gonzaga versus Loyola in the title game, which would be awesome. I think you have Gonzaga Baylor. I I think that'd be unfortunately, my ride for uh, Loyola is going to come to an end, and I hate to do it because I don't, I don't really want them to win. But I got Gonzaga winning the title. I also have Gonzaga winning the title. I think that <laughs> I, I think it's funny that. Uh, your, yeah, I don't like want you have win. a thing with Gonzaga, 
maybe. And right, that that thing. Uh, but like, I feel like it opens. I feel like Gonzaga winning opens a door for a team like Xavier. I know it's a completely non-sequential thought because Xavier's now in the Big East and blah, 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 blah. But yeah. I feel like for as a fan... Oh, I think it'd be really cool. You know, like, I like Mark Few. Um, that's all. I guess I've always that. just wanted Xavier to be that first team to do it, uh, which we all do. We all do, right? Like, that's not... Yeah, well, I, I, well, I, I still but don't it's think, not possible anymore. Even though like, Xavier's in the Big, the Big East, East. I, I don't think it's apples to... I, I think Xavier winning would be akin to a Gonzaga winning at this point. Because Gonzaga established themselves to be a higher level than what Xavier uh, has. I mean... I think it's a fair argument, but I think that Gonzaga, it, it it's apples to oranges only because Gonzaga has gone out and said we're going to play a totally national, yeah. non conference schedule. We'll play Iowa, we'll play Kansas, we'll play we'll play anybody. Yeah, because they realize that they have to play their their conference, whereas Xavier has. Still taking on some comers, but they haven't taken on all comers. And they realize that they have a lot of difficult matchups in the Big East. So I think it, you're right. But I also like, and I am probably wrongly so, I view Xavier as a major. And so we don't have to deal with that anymore. And, yeah. but you're, but they haven't made no. a final four. So. Who the fuck am I to say that? That's it. We'll update Chase's picks when he gets them in, but that's that's where we're going with. All right. Well, we're coming up on five seconds. Well, no, not quite yet. But uh, any, especially with the tournament, let's throw out a WTF moment um, that may have. I think my thing I saw today was the uh, anniversary of the. Um, I can go first. Kansas State Xavier Sweet Sixteen game from 2010 or whenever that was, and that that's my WTF because that God that game was yeah. awesome, and I still think back like if Xavier wins that game, they get to play Butler to go to the Final Four. And then Butler's in the national title game. And it's just like, ugh, come on. We could have been there. That team was so good. Absolutely. Uh, That's a – I mean, that's a great one. I'm going to say WTF – to the Reds. This is a little bit of a preview. But uh, Eugenio Suarez is playing shortstop. And I feel like we've talked about on a million podcasts, on a million things, and a million things. Like, 
move Nick Senzel from center field to second base and then move this guy from this guy because they have too many outfielders. And now they do it like literally 10 games before spring training. So he hasn't had enough. I mean, he'll be fine. But are you fucking kidding me? Like, just give the guy a chance. Like, you're literally setting up one of your best players for failure by giving him 10 games at shortstop in spring training when you could have given him 20 or 30. And I don't understand the logic there. Um, So, what the absolute fuck? Yeah, Um, it's on the podcast. That's all I got. I'm sufficiently buzzed.